Kuskis on to Hartley! Hearts take the lead! Jankowskis is going in on the goalkeeper. Bankowski wanted all day. Jankowskis wraps it up for Hearts! Hello and welcome to Shirts Around the Funnel, a brand new podcast which is an offshoot of the popular and well-established Hearts podcast, Scarves Around the Funnel. Shirts Around the Funnel looks to bring a focus on Hearts kit and seasons on an occasional basis, aiming to expand further into the Hearts community and also to those who like to talk about football kits. Hello, my name is Paul Mitchell. I've been talking sport professionally for a number of years and I've always enjoyed the world of football kits. Alongside me on this podcast is a man whose Twitter handle is... The Hearts Match One Shirt Collector, which likely tells you all you need to know. Grant Young, and I have to be fair and say this podcast is his brainchild. Grant, good evening. Hi, Paul. Nice to uh, have uh, be on with you. Uh, really looking forward to this. It should be uh, some some good chat. Maybe some nerdy stuff, but I'm sure some people will find some things useful. I think. Absolutely. Now we'll get into the background as we go through the podcast, including how we met. But before I ask you how you started collecting, which season we're going to focus on. Each episode will be joined by a special guest, and tonight we welcome from Scarves Around the Funnel, the voice of Hearts TV, who's thawed out from Livingston, where he was at at the weekend, Laurie Dunsour. Laurie, thanks for joining us. How are you? Uh, I'm very well, Paul. Thanks for for having me on the show, and it feels a little bit odd I'm getting introduced. I'm not accustomed to that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we ask the questions around here, don't you worry. (laughs) Now, the idea behind the podcast is we will... Picky season for Hearts. We will talk about the kits. We'll talk about, you know, the memories of that season. We'll talk a few of the nerdy things, as Grant says, how to get hold of the kit, how to make sure you're not ripped off if somebody's offering you a match-worn jersey, and just see where the conversation takes us. So, Grant, first of all, 2005-2006 is the year. Hearts home kit, obviously maroon, but what was it like? Uh, well, it was obviously, it was manufactured by uh, Hummel, uh, famous for, obviously, the their, their links with the, the Danish international kit. Um, it was quite a simple design, uh, and a nice colour maroon. Uh, the home shirt certainly with a, a, a nice V-neck white collar. The famous, um, you know, the, the famous Hummel chevrons down the side, making it very very distinctive. Yuko Bankus was the sponsor. A lovely smaller woven badge uh, on the right hand side, and um, you would you also see the, the Bank of Scotland um, sleeve badges, uh, which were which were vinyl. On the back would be uh, the Sporting ID name set numbers. Uh, so one thing I was going to mention about that is, um, and you're talking about how would you notice if something was match-worn or not, you'll notice that on the match-worn shirts, the, the name set so uh, is larger numbers. So they're roughly about 7 centimetres, seven, 72 millimetres, if you want to be exact. <laughs> so if you're ever on eBay and you see a nice shirt that comes up and it says Rudy Scatchel, and you think, oh, that'll do me. And somebody's selling it for £50. Get up to get up to send your ruler with the size of the numbers and you'll know whether <laughs> that's a really sketch shirt or not. So that's the, that's the very first piece of advice I would give a, a you know a, a new collector. Check the number sizes, certainly from that season, because the letters and numbers are much bigger. That's really interesting. Laurie, was, was it a kit that you went out and bought? Is it a kit you like? It's a kit I like a lot. It's, it's one that I... I think one thing that I really can't remember what the alternatives were, but I don't know if you remember, it was the first year that 
Now, this is this is a question we've we've spoken about on scarves around the funnel before, as if it's Hummel or Hummel, and I think I always uh-huh. say Hummel, and I'm not, but I don't know if we even decided if that was right or not. But just just putting it out there, it was yeah. the first it was the first year that we uh, we'd been under that branding, and I don't know if you remember they put out to the fans to have a vote on the particular design. Hmm. Um, uh, I, I just remember it being a thing, and I can't for the life of me remember what the alternatives looked like, uh, but it, I know it was put out there, so fans had an input on what the strip would look like. I do like it. The one thing with the that I always thought was a little bit odd was I always thought the badge should have been central because you had the you had the V-neck, mm. as Grant mentions, at the top, and you yeah. had the Hummel slash Hummel right underneath it. Yeah. But they, they put the sports sponsor in the middle at the top, and then you got the, the obviously the, the main shirt sponsor in the middle, but the badge was to the right if you're facing it, and obviously to the left if you're wearing it. I always thought it looked like it maybe should have been central, but I really do like it, and it's it was very different, I thought, for a Scottish shirt because um, that particular brand, I'm just going to avoid saying it now, um, that particular brand, obviously, it's a Scandinavian brand, and I always think of a Scandinavian team or an Eastern European team, and I think you'd seen the Danish national side pretty much always seem to have uh, that branding and the Chevron. So I thought it was very different, which I quite liked. And I think like lots of shirts you associate um, how much you liked them possibly with how good the team were and obviously at that period the team were fantastic so it's maybe quite it's maybe partly why it's very fondly thought of as well and in terms of the away kit that, that season Grant I mean it, it was almost just a, a straight flip wasn't it you know the maroon and white swap places yeah, yeah absolutely it was uh, it, it, you're, you're absolutely correct it is just an absolute flip but there's something I, I really like the white kit I just think and I, mm-hmm. I can remember you know you go back and think about certain games um, and I, I just thought it always looked. I don't know. There's something about white kit, white socks, or you know, maroon shorts if they wear them, and then maroon, uh, you know, uh, socks. I think it just looked really classy. I always think, and and the players that were wearing that shirt were certainly classy as well. So I just thought always so when they wore the white kit, it looked it looked really really nice. Something really good about a white shirt. I think white's easy to get wrong. I don't know about you guys. I think white's a very easy colour to get wrong. I personally prefer the away kit to the home kit. I just think there's something stronger about the the chevrons down the side. And where's yeah. the badge? Where's the badge? I think on the home kit looks out of place because it's not in the middle. I think you get away with it a little bit more on the away kit just just because it's white. So it, it is kind of strange how you look at things. I like the away kit better as well. Actually, and it's quite funny because the one thing about the maroon is I do think it's a slightly lighter maroon than what it, and I, I don't know, I don't have the coding to hand. Maybe Grant does, but I think that season's no. home kit, I think the maroon was slightly lighter than what you would want for a Hearts kit. But for whatever reason on the away kit, I've looked at, and I looked, some, I looked at some pictures of both the home and away games that season, and it might just be a trick of the, trick of the eye, but the maroon looks darker in the away kit. And I don't know if it's... And I know that they wore maroon shorts with the home kit. Yeah. I was going to speak about that. I'm sure Paul will speak about it as well. But So it must have been the same maroon because it doesn't look off when they wear it as a whole kit. But for some reason, the combination of the away kit, I think, looks better. And I think the maroon looks better on the shorts and the chevrons on the white kit than it actually did as the main colour on the home kit. I don't know if that's just me or it's a trick of the trick of the light or something in the, some of the photos I've looked back I, on. I, I, I think that the you know the, the vinyl chevrons on the white 
I, I think they definitely look slightly darker maroon than the actual home shirt. So I think, you know, if you've picked it up, I, I, I agree. I think, it, I, I think you're right. I think it does look slightly darker, which seems a bit odd. But, you know, maybe, maybe because it's, you know, the, the, the material against the vinyl, maybe it's easier to get that sort of darker uh, maroon on the vinyl. But, yeah, the, the white shirt looks, looks great. Really does. <laughs> So in terms of, you know, because a few times that season you, you did get hearts in almost in all maroon. Now, yep. we, we need to get this out of the way, first of all. Hearts in all maroon, just simple answer, and I'll go to Laurie first. Hearts in all maroon, yes or no? You can't, you can't make that I can't, can, no, no, that, that's it, it's that simple. This is the pressure we put people under. Yes or no? <sighs> no, then, if that's a straight, if, I, if I've got no, if I've got no wriggle room, no. Grant? Yeah, uh, no wiggle room. I say no as well. Well, three for three. I, I must admit, I don't like hearts and all maroon. That, that's just, just the way it goes. And, <laughs> you know, people will say, oh, well, you know, you're supposed to be neutral. I mean, I could tell you just about anything about any club's kits that I, I really dislike or really like. Uh, there's a lot of good kits knocking around at the moment. I don't think hearts look right in all maroon. Just doesn't work for me. But sometimes, you know, they, they go with it and they went with it and were successful in it. So when you see that kit, who do you think of first now? Because it was a heck of an impressive squad at the end of the day. What players spring to mind? Well, I mean, the thing, I mean, there's so many, like Paul says, there's so many great players. And many people, it's a sore one, but Stephen Presley just definitely jumps out. I thought he epitomised that season, you know, whatever you think of him now or or <laughs> things he did since there's no point getting into that it's not that type of podcast but you know that season he was the leader i mean you know see him celebrating lifting the lifting the cup him and hartley i think were were big players i think of when i when i when i see that kit if i don't have if i don't see it on a player that's those are the kind of players i think of but at the same time i think it i thought it was a very appropriate kit for that period for hearts in terms of we had uh, an Eastern European owner coming in. We had lots of players from across, not just Europe, but across the continent. You know, Jankowskis up front, Miko and Chesney. So you had a lot of Lithuanians in there, Brelje, Aguiar, Bednar, Fisas. I think the fact that we had a, a very multinational sort of team that season was was quite appropriate for the fact that we had a, you know, we had a Scandinavian kit sponsor and not just the sponsor, but like I say, that design in the Chevrons, I always associate with them not so much a, a UK or a British team. I know Rangers have used them since, but back then I thought of them as a European sort of sponsor. So loads of players, but maybe, you know, maybe Presley often jumps out, especially for the home kit. What about you, Grant? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think Presley um, and then I, I probably Paul Hartley, um, just because there's so many iconic moments, uh, you know, with, with, with a, you know, the amount of good goals he scored, the amount of you know running he did, the amount of work he did in, in that on that in that uh, with that wearing that shirt, you know, you always have to think back to uh, Tyne Castle against Aberdeen. You have to think against that, you know, the hat trick against Hibs. So yeah, but I, I, when I think, I automatically think of uh, Presley lifting the cup. Then I think about you know Hartley scoring all those goals. And then inevitably, I always think about uh, Rudy Scatchel because the, the kit man must have been fed up with Rudy Scatchel because you guys, you, you would have made most of the games as well. I mean, was there a game where he didn't throw his kit away? <laughs> I, think, I, I think he actually ended up getting fined or getting, you know, getting, he had to pay 40 quid a game when he was, just gave his kit away every single game. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. Give him the win bonuses they were getting back then. I don't think 40 quid would have worried him too much. You'd be all right. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> him, and, him and Taka say, love, love to give a shot away. <laughs> it was a thing where pe- players weren't giving their shirts away a great deal at that time. We see it a lot now. Uh, in fact, I mean, one of the, I think the horrible things about modern football is people holding up signs saying, please, can I have your shirt? Just that, that does my head in, and we'll probably talk oh. about that on another podcast at, at some point. The Scottish Cup, it is iconic. I mean, let's talk a little bit about the season, though. I mean, it's not often when you have four different managers that you actually come <laughs> out the other end as a successful season. So John Robertson resigned back in May. People were disappointed. I think they were fair to say, the hire of George Burley at, at the end of June, I'm not sure people knew quite what to to make of that appointment. George Burley was a fantastic footballer, but I think people were a little bit hesitant about him coming in. Yeah, yeah. But I, I just remember the buzz as well, because I, I don't know if you guys were at the Middlesbrough game when you, you know when we realised all the all the stars that were on show or future stars. And and it just went, when, when he came in and I was at the Middlesbrough game and you saw some of these guys, it was like, Oh yeah, you know what? I, I think we could be onto something here because you could see that you know what what had gone before, player wise, and it, even just in that, that 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 single game where the guys coming on, I thought, oh you know, this might be a good this might be a good appointment, and it, it did look promising even from that very first game. I thought what what I found interesting. I mean, Hart, Hart started with a win at Kilmarnock, beat Hibs four 0 which got. You know, everybody on the maroon side of the city highly excited. Scatchel, Hartley, Simmons, and Michaelunas on the score sheet. Then they went to Tannadice and beat Dundee United quite comfortably. Beat yeah. Aberdeen, beat Motherwell, beat Livingston, beat Inverness, and then the the test came when Rangers came in September of that year. Roman Bednar scores the only goal of the game, and I think the penny dropped with a lot of people then. If if you didn't start to believe. That something special was going. I think that was the game where people did think, "Wait a minute, we've got a wee chance yeah. here." Hundred percent. And poor old Roman Bednar. I mean, that, that's when he got the, he got the knee injury, didn't he? And he, he really had an injury ravaged season after that. He, I mean, it took him a good while to come back from that, didn't he? Luckily, you know, he got he got back in time for the Scottish Cup final. But I always wonder how good Roman Bednar would have been if he hadn't. I, I think it was Marvin Andrews, wasn't it? That clattered him, and he, um, you know, he went. He, he was injured for a, a good spell after that. I always just wonder what would have been a Roman Bednar, because he was a cracking player. But you're, you're absolutely right. Just just seeing him in full flow. I mean, Cavalier football, that's what Hearts fans were always, you know, we always wanted. And, it, you know, it, it was just so exciting. Wave after wave, you know, that, that first 20 minutes, smashed them and see how many goals we can score. What, what? It was brilliant, wasn't it? Just so exciting. The, whole the, Ranger, yeah, the Rangers game was where I think it, it's the first time I'd experienced a, a whole kind of mentality shift and the first yeah. time I really felt like, because obviously, you know, for for Hearts fans, if they're listening, whether they're, you know, young or old, you know, they will have seen Hearts beat Celtic, beat Rangers. Uh, we've seen us outplay Celtic and Rangers in certain games, but yeah. th- that was certainly in my time. And I and I did go to games in the season 90, in 97, 98. I, I didn't go and see us play Rangers or Celtic that season, actually. I missed the cup final. I didn't get a ticket. I wasn't a season ticket holder then. So for me, that was the first game I'd been to a game where we played Rangers. And I remember, obviously, they had their their full away end for that particular match. And they were a bit subdued. And it was us making the noise. And it was almost like, it, it felt like the roles had been reversed. Because when Bedner yeah. scored, it felt like inevitable. Like, it felt like going to Ibrox or Celtic Park. You know, when you're, you're in the way end there, you go with 
hope more than anything. But yeah. the ex- the expectation is, well, they're going to score, and when they do, it feels like, well, that was it was it was the inevitable, and it kind of felt like roles reversed. Like, it felt like yeah, they're coming they're coming here as the underdog, and you can see there's a little bit of trepidation there away, and they usually come here boisterous bouncing and you know they, they are now in Celtic and Rangers come to Tank Castle it's like that again but yeah. I remember just feeling like there was a change in the atmosphere that day that Hearts were the big team here and um, and when Bednar scored it was like well here we go that's 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 yeah. what's going to happen you're, you're playing the best team in the league here we're, we're likely to score first and we have yeah yeah no, you're, you're absolutely right and that was the feeling wasn't it it just felt like that, you know, those opening games that, you know, the opening spell was, you know, we, we were just going to go for it. And it was just like a, right, let's, let's just steamroll them. See, we, we, we know, but you just felt the confidence in them, didn't you? It was as if the team said, we know we can score here. So let's just go for it. And it was just so refreshing and just so exciting to watch. It was very simple as well. It was yeah. very simple. I think the one thing, and Robbie Nielsen, when he came on the podcast, mentioned, you know, we were talking about, um, that season and, and George Burley and there was no, you know, I think, although it was only, what, 16 years ago, I think tactics and the analysis has, has evolved a lot, a lot of it for yeah. the for the better. But at the same time, when Robbie talked about opposition analysis, he, he said he would just have the list of, George Burley would literally have the list of the players in the opposition team and he would just go through them and go, shite, shite, really shite, <laughs> terrible, awful, He's shite. He's shite. And he said it was a mentality thing because he had a bunch of players, you know, Jankowskis and Mikhail Yunus yeah. and Fisas and Brelier, Skatcho. Yeah. They had no idea the list of players they were up against. They had no clue Absolutely. how good yeah. or bad they were. So it was all about instilling confidence to say, look, you're much better than all of these. It doesn't matter yeah. who they are. Go out and play your game and you'll win. Simple yeah. as. <laughs> yeah. It was so good yeah. to watch. They they were that that actually worked really well until he did it for Scotland and said John Carew was finished to both of the Caldwell <laughs> brothers. But that that's another story. Hearts oh. then move into October. They come from two down at Falkirk to get a draw. They come from one down at Celtic Park, albeit very early. Both goals scored in the opening sixty minutes to draw there, and then Dunfermline are coming to town, and lo and behold. What do the league leaders do? But they press that big red self-destruct button, and differences of opinion, you know, they couldn't be reconciled, was the story that came out. And George Burley was basically bumped just before that Dunfermline game. I mean, it was hours before the game. Um, Yeah. You know, it's hard to believe that a team like Hearts, who hadn't won the league, you know, in donkey's years, lead the league, clearly the best team at that time. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. They were the best team. And all of a sudden, they sack their manager and, you know, all, all hell breaks loose. It was almost like a GFK moment, wasn't it? Without, I, I know that's maybe slightly <laughs> over-exaggerated, but I can, I can still remember it because we were, going, we were going into the Bobby Walker suite for some reason, me and my, my wife, we both got, you know, we sat in opposite stands. And we were on the, we were on the bus at Haymarket and a guy standing there, but you know, we're well standing on the bottom deck and a guy goes, George Burley's been sacked. And you're like... Yeah, what really? And then, and then you heard it. So there was murmur, murmur, and whisper. And then you're like, "No, he has really done this." And you're like, "What on earth? Unbelievable!" And just like that, that can't be true. And then it was. It was just, yeah, madness. But it, it sort of sums up the Vlad years, though, doesn't it? Yeah, just madness. Yeah. Different era. I mean, even even again, even though it's only sixteen years ago, social media and 
although the internet was obviously a big thing for you know for Scottish football, you it wasn't a breaking news type of medium at that point. So you were waiting for a you know a sports sound update or, or, or something. It yeah. was a, it was it was something like that, or maybe after, maybe on a forum you might get something, but not something concrete. Yeah, it was yeah. it was actually a Hibs fan I knew who texted me and told me, and I was like. Away you go. Yeah, just winding me up. And but even the team, I think the team were at the the Dalmahoy, I think, before, and they only found out that morning, you know, in the lead up to the game as well, because it was literally at that time. It was funny though, Paul, you mentioned just before that, um, you know, we're talking about what you associate with the kit. The Falkirk game is when when I always think of the away kit that season, and it's one of the reasons I always do think of Presley. And again, I don't want to annoy a lot of people to talk about too much, but that particular game almost more so than some of the wins before it was when I first thought, you know, this team actually have a lot about them because 2-0 down, Craig Gordon had been sent off. That's when it felt like the wheels have come off and everyone's going to be ripping in. It's like, yeah, look at Hearts, got well ahead of themselves and now 2-0 down to Falkirk, down to 10 men, floundering. And then Presley himself obviously comes back and down to 10 men, scores two goals himself. And I think there's a picture again, I was trying to remind myself and look at pictures. There's one that I just remember really well, where it's him celebrating. And Jankowskis is about to, about to embrace him as he as he celebrates after leveling right at the end. And um, I just thought that was a game that I always think of that away kit that I really liked, and it sort of epitomised the kind of the heart of the team that season as well. Yeah, just on the white kit. Before, I know it's gone off slightly, but we, we only wore it. We wore it five times that season, Laurie, and we, and we we we'd never lost a game. So fairly fairly successful white kit. I'd take that. You know, every away game, every away kit, every season, not no defeats. I'd take that anytime. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't happen too often. Uh, and there's been so been some away kits that players absolutely hate, but they they pretty much like that. Now, in terms of what happened for those who don't remember, I mean, temporary charge. Sean McGlynn was put in charge, and then I mean, if the George Burley appointment was out of left field. Um, the Graham Ricks one came from outer space. Nobody yeah. saw that coming. Absolutely nobody. Now, I, I don't know what contact you had with Graham Hicks. I spoke to him a few times. And if you take somebody at face value, and that's all I could do, he was a nice guy. You know, he, he was a nice guy to speak to. Um, he'd had his problems, obviously. We're not going to go into that. But as a, as a person one-to-one, I found him fine. But... <laughs> He didn't. He, he then came in and he was slightly hamstrung because clearly then it, a lot of the playing decisions were being taken upstairs, if we like, and we'll just well we could speculate and just say Romanoff's office, um, and all of a sudden the whole dynamic of the club changed. Hart still had arguably one of the best squads, but I, I think the, the, taking George Burley out took the heart out of Hearts that season for a while. Yeah, I, I always think. When you when you ever see the you know the camera panning in on Graham Ricks during that season, I just always think he looked slightly beaten. Even I, I, he just always had that sort of look of always ill at ease and and just never felt like he, he had great confidence in himself. And you, you hear that you know you hear the players going back and saying he was a, he was a great coach, but I just I just think it was maybe too much from I don't know I don't know I don't know what you think, Laurie, but he just he just looked slightly defeated most of the time. I think. I think the I think the term yes man was what Hearts were looking for, and I think maybe maybe Graham Ricks didn't fully appreciate just how much of a yes man he'd be expected to be. But I think it's one of those where he was a surprise appointment for the job. But 
and I've, I wish I could remember a lot of the talk about the attempts to get other people in, but I think at that point the, it was a bit of a poison chalice in some ways. I know it had only been one full-time boss that had, that had really worked under Romanov. Clearly, I know, Ro- I know Robertson was removed from his position, but it was very much still in the transitional phase. Robertson was there when, when Romanov took over, so it's never usually a huge surprise when an owner decides they want to go a different way than whoever's in charge. Maybe it echoes of the previous regime, but certainly it was then clear that it wasn't going to be an easy person to work under. So I think Romanov obviously wanted someone who he could still influence. And maybe that's why Rick's decided to take it because yeah, for, for reasons that we won't get into on this podcast, um, he'd had a troubled past. He wouldn't have got many high profile jobs. He maybe saw this as a big chance. So it was someone who maybe wouldn't have thought they'd get a job like this, but hearts had to look at someone maybe slightly out of left field because those who were, um, more obvious, possibly wouldn't have wanted to work in this, the, the yep. situation that would be handed to the manager. Yeah. I, I have to say, when I was preparing for the podcast, we could do about seven podcasts on this season because there were so <laughs> many weird and wonderful well, things happened. I mean, Rex didn't last too long. He was sacked on the 22nd of March. So was Jim Duffy, who'd been with the club a month as director of football. <laughs> I mean... When it start, when you start to see personnel decisions, I think everybody knew by that time that Romanov basically wanted to run it as his own, and nobody was surprised when a Lithuanian came in um, and Valdas Ivanouskas, who again, what a lovely, amiable, big bloke to deal with, a lovely, lovely man. But again, he was just brought. In. It's almost like, well, we've we've tried this, we've tried this. Actually, these guys don't work. I'll just get in, and, and to call him a yes man. It, I don't mean that in a derogatory term. He was basically earning a lot of money coming across from Kaunas to Hearts to do the job that, you know, Vladimir Romanov wanted him to do. Yeah. I was going to say, I think with with Ivanouskis, you hear um, stories of he would do his, he would speak to the team and talk about, right, this is how we're going to set up, et cetera, et cetera. And then he would get a, a wee message or a shout about something. He'd go away and then he'd, he'd come back and he'd be, nervous and sweating and be like right okay so actually it, it's not going to be that we're, we're actually going to have x or y playing instead of that and obviously it would be the 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 facts as everyone said i can't imagine it was always facts i mean it was 2005 it wasn't yeah. 1995 but um but yeah i think similar to rex in some ways that someone who probably saw a really big opportunity and you can't you can't say anything against them if you're in the same situation where Maybe a club, you know, a club in a in the UK came along and gave you an opportunity. You would take it, even if you knew you're going to have some difficult scenarios to deal with. And I'm sure Romanov made it quite clear that he's going to want to have some say in in who's picked. And and it's not actually that uncommon in other countries that type of thing. I think in the UK it just doesn't happen. It's not. Yeah. It's not common. I, I don't think. In, in in other places in Europe, and maybe not so much now, but even then, and in the past, you know, someone who owns a club or who's directing or, or whatever to say, actually, by the way, you need to play that player because we'd really like him, or because he's a high earner. We don't want you to play that player just now because we don't like him because he's not agreed a new contract. So it's not that uncommon. I think it was just very different and and very very hard to take for. For I think fans of of a Scottish club, especially especially when the wheels came off as well, I think that was the big thing when when Hearts 
stop performing on the pitch. And it's like anything, um, you know, we're very fickle football fans and, you know, it's great the hearts are fan-owned now and we can look back and say, you know, what Romanov did was was terrible overall and you shouldn't let your, your owner overspend. But it was it was obvious we were spending money that yeah, we couldn't afford. But I, I would be I would be a barefaced liar if I sat here and went, yeah, I was really concerned about it at the time. What the hell? I was taken yeah. away the whole thing. Yeah, pay them 20 grand a week, whatever. If we're battering teams left, right, centre, if we're winning... Who cares about the bank balance? It's all well and good now saying that, but when we were on the roller coaster, uh, not a lot of people wanted to get off when we were winning. Absolutely, and, and you're, you're spot on there, right? Because I mean, hindsight's what a wonderful thing, right? We knew. I, I have no idea where all the money's coming from. You know, the Russian Russian billionaire saves hearts. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, Romanov. If, if Romanov hadn't come in, Laurie Paul, where would we be? We would, you know, would we be at Murrayfield? Would we be? Would we exist as a club? He saved the club. It, 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 obviously, we all know it unraveled and it got a, a real mess. But ultimately, you know, he, he, we're still at Tynecastle, and if we had ended up at Murrayfield, it would have been a complete disaster. You know, I, I, so I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the excitement that we, we got out of it all. Um, but if you look back now, we all, there was obviously a, sort of a lot of bad things going on. You know, and and we're in a much better place now. But I, I'm like you, Laurie. Did I enjoy it at the time? Absolutely. Was I strapped into that roller coaster? Absolutely, I was. Was it exciting? Yeah. Did you not? Did you ever know what was going to happen the next again week? No, no idea. So that was part of the fun. But yeah, it, it, it was what it was, wasn't it? There was a realization, though. I think that you know Hearts could have won the title. I think everybody knows that. It's one of the great pub arguments. If you're a Hearts fan, is you know if Burley had stayed in charge and no interference, would Hearts have won the league? One of these great pub arguments but the wheels did start to come off you know December January within sort of two weeks you know the hearts had lost at Ibrox they'd lost at home to Celtic they were to lose at Kilmarnock they dropped you know three points to Aberdeen at home and basically I think you know hearts fans saw the league flutter off into the distance as far as that was concerned now there's always the hope of the cup and you know hope springs eternal for all non-old firm fans and it wasn't the easiest of draws for hearts you know home draws to be fair, you know, they took out Kilmarnock at home. They took out Aberdeen very comfortably. Of the three home games, Partick Thistle actually, I thought, gave them the biggest game of the lot. And uh, I, rem- I remember speaking, it was Dick Campbell who was in charge of Partick Thistle. He said, you're very unlucky and you must be proud. He says, we lost. That's all that matters. You know, we lost. It was a very refreshing interview. But it did set up when I think the great iconic moments of this kit. And that's, you know, we're, we're talking about shirts around... Uh, the funnel, you know, the Yukio Bankus maroon kit, I think is, despite the fact there was a cup final to come, I think it's best known personally for Paul Hartley wheeling away in celebration on his hat-trick, you know, when he defeated Hibs, Hibs at Hamden. That, yeah. that, to me, is the iconic moment of this kit. Yeah. I, there was, there was, I always laugh at that thing. There was another part, and I don't know if you guys remember it, but it was when, um, you know, when uh, Michelinus lifted the, lifted the, the corner flag and started waving it. That, that, yeah. I, I love that part as well. That that makes me chuckle every time I see it. But you're you're spot on, Paul. Uh, you know that that when he, he wheels away, he's got the three fingers in the air. It's just joyous, isn't it? And that that kit that kit will ever you know will forever be remembered with Paul Hartley there. Yeah, absolutely. Can't disagree at all. Fantastic. I always remember the build up to that game. There was about ten hours go to games, right? And there was there was five of us sitting in a row, front row, Hamden, and. Minutes before the kickoff, you, and you you were there, so you'll know. You looked across, 
you know, the Hibs end is pretty empty. Hibs come on the pitch. Players are looking pretty nervous. And I think it's the only, the first and only time I've ever turned around to my mates and said, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to hammer them today. And I, 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 I never, I never want to jinx a derby because you know what it's like, anything can happen. But I was just so super confident that day that we were going to really give them a good doing. And we absolutely did. I mean, what, what a performance, eh? Brilliant. Put four goals past Hibs on three occasions that right. season in that in that maroon kit. So I mean, it's 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 quite good yeah. memories of it. But yeah, you you're totally right that it was one of those games where, from a, a mentality perspective, you talk about the Rangers game, but when you turned up at Hamden and the Hearts end was packed and and buzzing, and the Hibs end was scattered, it did feel that. And it, I'm sure that must transcend beyond just the fans as well. You know, that surely has to have a knock-on effect. If you come out, those two sets of players come out. And I know Hearts had the better of Hibs that season, um, albeit Hibs beat them at Easter Road, both games. That's right, they did. Yeah. But you walk, you walk out of Hamden Park with that greeting you, you know, the Hearts end, back to the rafters, hugely confident, hugely, and then the Hibs end, no matter what Hibs fans say to you, it, it was a huge difference. And when you look, even just I, looking at the, the two sets of fans, I mean, that must have had an effect on the two sets of players when you come out. And ultimately, I think the best team won fairly comfortably. But I think these little things can can impact a game as well. Yeah. It should be said, Hibs were going through a run of not really having a goalkeeper, to be fair. Not not of the standard. <laughs> you know, you know, and, and, and I'm trying to be fair and add, add a little bit of balance to this. Hibs had had really good goalkeepers for a long time and they then just went through a little sticky spell and Malkowski was, was prone to error, as we saw in the semi-final. Hibs were a good team that season, which I think... I think it's overshadowed a little bit by the fact that Hearts were a very good team, but yeah. um, apart maybe not in the goalkeeping department, but certainly they had a lot of quality in that Hibs side, and I think it's just unfortunate for them that they came up against one of the best yeah. Hearts sides yeah. of the modern generation. It was rather than an O'Connor up front, wasn't it? I mean, they, they, they had a forward line. Whitaker there, Brown. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the team from the semi-final because I've got it, I've got it in front of me. Uh, was it was actually just bef- just before the the O'Connor and Rardin they were out on that occasion. Hibs did have injury right. problems for the semi-final. Yeah. Uh, they still had Fletcher, they still had Benjaloon playing up front. The midfield, you know, they had Thompson and Glass in there. They, they weren't at full strength. Still had Ivan Sproul. Ivan Sproul got himself ordered off. Gary Smith yeah. got ordered off with a minute to go. So Hibs did. I think that that was the thing. I mean, from a broadcasting point of view, looking at it, because I broadcast the game, Pat Nevin was my co-com, my worry for Hibs on that occasion was the fact they had been weakened and I wasn't convinced about the goalkeeper. Uh, and, and that's how it was to turn out mm. to be. And Hearts, you could argue, had, you know, pretty much their, their, their top their top team in there uh, and were ready to go. Now, one of the players that played in that game was Andy Webster. And the thing I can never believe is Andy Webster was then denied the opportunity to play in the final. And it always rankles me when somebody makes their debut for a club in a competition in the final. And Ibrahim Tal did that against Gretna. Um, that, that, that always stands out to me as well. I don't like, um, I've never liked the the rules around, or the older rules. It's, it's kind of different. I know with the Champions League now and a lot of the European competitions, they don't just say, you play in the final, you get a medal, you don't play, you don't get a medal. I think they just give the club like 40 medals and the club then allocate them as they see fit, which can be a bit silly because if they've got 10 medals over, then some of the reserve players are going to pick up a, a winner's medal. But I, I do I do see the point there when, 
you know, a, a sub goalkeeper can never play for a club and can win a cup final, whereas a player who maybe plays every game up until the final but gets injured or suspended, or in this case just gets frozen out because of contract issues, then is seen as not being a winner. Um, I think that is quite difficult. I think there should be hard and fast rules about if you've played, like in the league, I think, is it, what's the number of games now they have? But I know if if you play a certain number of games... I think it's usually up to about 12 before before you qualify. Uh, certainly, certainly into, into double figures, uh, and then I think you're right. I think that's probably the, the way, the way you should do it. But in terms of, I think if we looked at everything, so Hearts had four managers. They sacked the director of football. You know, the Vladimir Romanov was clearly, uh, you know, running things. He transfer listed Andy Webster and all, and all of this thing. But the biggest thing for me out of, of of that towards the end is when you've got a cup final, you play your best eleven players. And Hearts didn't play their best 11 players that day because Andy Webster was on the sidelines. And I think that just summed up Hearts' season as being bizarre that you've got you know somebody who was so good and he, and he was a smashing player. Uh, and yeah. you're taking a chance on a, on a bloke called Ibrahim Tal, who didn't, to be fair to him, do much wrong on the day. But, you know, it, it was a bit taken aback. And Ibrahim Tal was signed for George Burley, with George Burley having absolutely no knowledge of who Ibrahim Tal was. He was one where Burley, I think, openly said at some point, Romanov signed him and gave me this player. Never seen him play in my life. <laughs> never never seen him. Didn't know who he was. Here he was, joining sure. the squad. And it was one of those where I think people had... He was actually a very good player when he eventually came in. And I think he was on... I'm pretty sure I heard he was on about nine grand a week or something. And didn't appear until what the last quarter of the season or something. Yeah. Just unbelievable. Memories of the final itself. What, what do no. you remember about the the, the Gretna day? <laughs> For me, it was the only time that my mom, my my uh, dearly departed mother, ever went to the game uh, because we we could just get so many tickets. So we we actually hired a like a a, a bus, and it was like a family affair, right? Because I think we thought. Without being too arrogant, I, I thought we were going to win quite easily, right? So we, we got extra tickets, had my mum, uh, had my sister, who's always supported Hearts, but never goes to games. And it was a sort of family atmosphere, I think, where, where, you know, to an extent, as, as much as a cup final can be. And my abiding memory is that we, we missed a couple of easy chances. I think we hit the post, uh, hit the bar. If they go in, I think we would have, we would have overrun them. We would have won that final easily. And then, But, you know, the, the little bits just went against you. And then you could feel it tightening up and just getting a light, little bit worried. And then when it came to the penalty shootout, I was just absolutely bricking myself. I, and the main point was, it was the thought of losing, uh, you know, and having to go to work to face 10,000 hippies just saying, how the F can you get beat off Gretna? It would have just been absolutely dreadful. The Hearts didn't play badly. Uh, it just, they just never got, from, in my opinion, they just never got the bits of luck where, you know, they, they, the, the shots go in and you're you're in easy street. I always remember... Um... Battle without honour or humanity, or people might commonly remember it as the the tune from Kill Bill, because they were playing that over the PA system at Hamden after yeah. full time and extra time. And I just remember, like you, I think bricking it is the right word. It was just absolute terror at what might happen because... You know, it was one of those games where Hearts had everything to lose and Gretna had nothing to lose. You know, whatever happened in that fight, if Gretna could beat 5 now it would have still been a case of, well, that's expected. Hearts are top yep. tier, Gretna third tier, poor Gretna, you know, they were just up against a great heart side. 
Um, and yeah, like you say, the, the more Hearts didn't put the game to bed and then when it was level, it was just the... And that, that nervousness does kind of feed, feed into the players in the park. And I, it's funny, I remember watching it back uh, maybe it was like a year, maybe a year or two back. And for some reason, I just totally forgotten that Paul Hartley got himself sent off, even though it yeah. makes sense. Because he obviously didn't take a penalty. He would have been the first player taking a yeah, penalty. He wasn't. But I just, it's not a game that I've wanted to watch back very often, apart from maybe the winning penalties. But and no, it was, it was that. Do you remember at the penalties? I, I, I just, and I don't know whether this has sort of got, in, you know, it's grown arms and legs of it. But I just remember the crowd almost sucking all the air in the way when they saw Robbie Nielsen going up for a take a penalty. They're like, what the hell? What's happening here? <laughs> and if you want to have a masterclass to show anybody how to take penalties, just show those Hearts penalties because they were just beautifully taken, weren't they? Yeah. And Nielsen, to be fair, I think he said, as soon as the manager asked, he was like, it's his, it's his approach, and to be fair, whether you like Robbie Nielsen or, or you don't like Robbie Nielsen, he is the type with a lot of bottle, I think. Yeah, you know, first to go, You know, he prefers to go, I'll take one. I'll take yeah. one. I'll, I'll, no bother. Give it to me. Even though he'll never score two goals for Hearts. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, in that cup final, one of the abiding memories of the cup final is is the challenge that Robbie Nielsen makes to oh. save a goal. Yeah. Now, that, that was as good as a goal, uh, you, you know, on, on that occasion. I covered the game for the BBC. It was my second Scottish Cup final. I, I was, you know, I'm, I'm looking back at my notes right now. And yeah, I mean, they are very um, 2006 compared to how I would do it now. But I've actually got one, two, three, four, five, six paragraphs written should Gretna win the Cup. You know, I, I had that ready to go just in case they would have been the 24th club to win the Scottish Cup, the first second division team to win the Scottish Cup since East Fife in 1938. Only the second team out with the top flight to do so. Um, you, you know, and like East Fife in 1938, and this is what I liked, and this is because I'm very sad, they finished 23rd in the pyramid if you take you know, all the leagues together. East Fife finished 23rd in the pyramid in 38 and won the Cup. Gretna finished. 23rd in the pyramid and could have won the cup so it's just little little things like that you just wonder um but, but you know we talked and you know we are we are shirts around the funnel we talked about do we like and this is the reason i asked you this question do you like an all maroon kit to which laurie words we twisted his arm said no grant said no hearts were all maroon that day and it didn't look yeah. right it just didn't look right yeah, I, I when I say and the reason I was trying to get out of it is because <laughs> if you you know I think Hearts kit looks best with a maroon shirt, white shorts, and maroon socks in the same way that this, the the kit the season after where we had white socks by default. I I, I hated that. I think I disliked yeah. that more. I think I disliked that more than all maroon. So I don't mind all maroon. And I think I quite liked when we used it for Europe. We used to before that season. The only time I think I'd notice this where all maroon would have been in. Yeah. European matches because it was well for Hearts fans they're few and far between um, so I didn't mind as a special occasion I know we even wore navy shorts with navy, me I'm not sure I'm ever gonna like that but again it was a bit different for one-offs a cup final <sighs> I don't know maybe but we didn't even just wear it for just the cup run because you'll remember there was at least one league game I can remember we wore it and that was when we uh, got beat by Celtic 3-2 on New Year's Day. We wore all maroon that game as well. So, Laurie, but, you're bang on because we uh, actually we wore it on the 26th of December against Falkirk, then we wore it against Celtic. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We wore it uh, against Kelly in the Cup, then we wore it against Dolphin away, and then Kelly away, 
that all those games in a row we wore maroon shorts and then we, we reverted back to white in the derby when we beat Hibs 4-1. So that for whatever reason, there was a spell of five games where they wore those maroon shorts. Don't know why, but yeah, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not that keen on it. So we've talked about the shirt. We've talked about you know our memories of the season and what a season it was for Hearts. It, you know, just I think bonkers is possibly the best word that we could use to describe <laughs> it overall. In terms of coming back to the, the the kit, Grant, how collectible is it? How easily available is it? And is, is it faked a lot because it was a cup final winning kit? Um, oh, the cup fit. Yeah, well, it's interesting. For a while, um, about. Maybe about six months after that, the, the cup final win, there was a couple of ropey, um, embroidered cup final shirts going about that, that are fake, and they do appear every now and then. So if you were going to buy one and, and see it comes up on eBay, I'd be really careful and maybe even just get in touch with me on Twitter or Chris Sim, uh, who's a, a shirt expert as well, just to have a look because they're, they're, I know for a fact there's a couple of fakes out there for, for the cup final shirts. Um, the, the ordinary, uh, you know, a replica one's probably going for about £40, £45. They, they come up every quite quite often. The white ones are more rare. Um, and in terms of match-worn ones, they come up less and less now. Uh, you know, they, they are they are pretty rare. That It's like people who have got them, who've got, everyone that's got those Rudy Scatcho shirts are either got them framed in their in their bedroom or they're, they're tucked away in a cupboard and they're, they're theirs forever, I think. Um, just one little thing as well. From the beginning of the season, the kit man put a black dot somewhere on the kit. And I'm not going to say where it is, <laughs> but um, I've got a couple of shirts where that black dot's on there. It's a circle. And if, you, and if you've got the right, as I said before, if you've got the right size of letters and you've got a black dot, then you're, you're absolutely on a, on a, on a match-worn kit. People um, getting their black markers out at home now. Black dot is. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's absolutely absolutely tremendous. And part of the fun of Shirts or the Fun is we'll be talking to Grant and to get all these hints and tips if you're looking to collect and gather arts memorabilia and memorabilia for other clubs as well. There are a few rascals out there that are looking to pass things off to to the unsuspecting punter and we'll try and help keep you right. Well, gentlemen, that's the full-time whistle on season 2005-2006 and the kit's hearts used. It's time to pop them back in the drawer and ready ourselves for another kit adventure, hopefully next month. Thanks for listening. We'd love your feedback. Anything you'd like to suggest to us to cover, we'd be delighted to hear from you. Special thanks to Laurie for joining us. My thanks to Grant and to you for listening. And remember, as often as said round Tynecastle Way, blood doesn't show on a maroon jersey. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.